Please open with me this morning to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, as we are studying through, kind of making our way through the book of Matthew in our, our youth Sunday school class, we've, we've gotten to chapter 21. And uh, a few Sundays ago, we actually looked back, um, or we actually looked at, at verses 18 through 22 that we're going to look at this morning. And, and as we were doing so, I was just so, I was very fascinated by this, this passage, seemingly very strange, very bizarre kind of thing that, that occurs here, um, and, and wanted to dig deeper into it, to, to look at it, think through it, and as I was doing so and, and prayerfully working through the study of this passage, I thought it would be edifying and beneficial to, to kind of share this morning by way of a, a sermon. So in, in our class, we've kind of had this, this great study, this journey, worked our way kind of verse by verse through this book, and uh, a few Sundays ago, we did, we kind of zoomed out and recapped um, all that we've studied and looked at, kind of breaking it down in, in kind of in terms of Jesus' life. And um, we kind of worked through his, his birth in the first th- few chapters and, and 18 chapters of his public ministry, covered about three years or, or so, recounting all the, the miracles and teaching that he conducted during that time and and now we've begun looking at seven chapters that record for us the, the final week of the life of Jesus. Um, we, refer to, we refer to it as his passion week, meaning his, his suffering and his death. And of course, as we look at the, kind of look at the breakdown, the amount of space that, that this section takes up, it, it tells us a lot about the significance uh, of the events that, that take place in this last week. We had, had 18 chapters that cover you know, three years, now we've got seven chapters that cover one week. So it tells us the, the emphasis and the importance there. And so as we begin kind of this, this Passion Week at the beginning of chapter 21, um, Jesus does some really interesting things. He, uh, he rides in on the colt of a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. So basically, Jesus is sitting on the baby donkey that's, that's following after the mama donkey as he, he walks into the city, and he does this in fulfillment of a prophecy from the Old Testament, from the book of Zechariah. Uh, we refer to this now as Palm Sunday because of the, the branches that were laid out before him by the, by the people in the crowd in the road um, as he went into the city. Read after that, he went into the temple and he drove out those who were buying and selling the sacrifices that would be used for the Passover celebration. He also drove out those people that were exchanging the different forms of currency. Um, And in the outer court of the Gentiles, they're disrupting worship in the temple. And also while he was in the temple, he he actually received the worship of children. Um, They they cried out, Hosanna, meaning, Lord, save now. And these children also called him the son of David, which was a a very clear, very well-known title of of Christ, who was to come from, from the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 7. And so the fact that Jesus received this worship and he, he didn't reject it of these children leads to this confrontation with scribes in the temple. 
So after this, Jesus leaves and he goes out of the city. And this brings us this morning to our verses in this section. So please look with me at verse... um, I'm going to start in verse 18. We'll read down through 22. It says, In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, If you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So I'd like this morning to look at at three points of uh, Jesus cursing this tree. Uh, The first thing we're going to look at here is the, the motive for the cursing of the tree. And when we read through this passage, it seems pretty straightforward on the surface of it. Um... Verse 19 tells us that he saw a fig tree. He went to it and he found nothing but leaves on it. Now the thing about the fig tree is that it will produce the leaves sometimes after or at least simultaneously with the fruit. So many times the fruit comes first and then the leaves. Then it becomes a well-known thing that when you see leaves, you got figs. Right, And so that's a well-known thing. If you see leaves, you have figs. Jesus comes and he finds no figs but only leaves. So he curses this tree for its lack of fruit. And so, like I said, on the surface of it, that seems to be the motive behind this. But if we want to dig a little bit deeper then. We, we want to go below the, the surface of what we read here and want to look at, secondly, th- this meaning behind the cursing. Like on, on the, you know, it just seems very strange. It seems odd. Right? What's going on? Is Jesus just hangry here? Is he just upset? And so he just kind of loses it and, and curses his tree and it withers away. Is he like a, you know, active in some kind of vindictive or cruel way towards this this tree because of its false advertisement? And he just kills it on the spot? Is Jesus in some way acting unreasonably here with with, with a temper that's just out of control? And of course, the the answer to those questions is no, that's that's not what is happening here. not doing any of those things. He's, he's not being vindictive. He's, he's not being cruel. He's not acting unreasonably or irrationally. There's actually something very profound going on in this passage. Now, the difficult thing about verses 18 and 19 in our text this morning is that we're not told by Matthew a direct reason in the text why Jesus would do this. Right? There, there's nothing that says... This was done to fulfill such and such a prophecy, as Matthew sometimes does. There's there's nothing that says Jesus did this to show his disciples blank. 
That's not here. Matthew doesn't record that for us. However, what we can do with this text is we can identify the different elements of, of what's going on here, or, or different pieces and, and parts that are involved in this incident. And then we can go to Scripture. We can look to see other places. Or, are there places where these same parts and, and pieces are found? And if so, we can then start to put those together in, in our minds, and we can come away with an, an understanding and interpretation of Jesus' actions here. And that's what believers and students of the Bible and, and pastors and preachers have done with this passage. And so let's look at the particular parts of this account. What do we see here? We see that there's a tree. There's lack of fruit on the tree. And because of this lack of fruit, there, there's judgment or cursing for it. And as a result, the tree withered away and died. And so the question that we ask ourselves as we look at this is, are there other places in Scripture that speak this way? Do we find this in other places? And we do. We can look early on in Matthew chapter 3. And John the Baptist is there baptizing, and he sees that the, the Pharisees and Sadducees have come to him. And he says this, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Tree, lack of fruit, judgment, death. A little later in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus speaking here says, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Tree, lack of good fruit, judgment, death. Over in the book of John, Jesus is speaking with his disciples and he, he says this to them. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Here it's a, it's a vine instead of a tree, but... The same concept, the same kind of imagery is being used. You've got a vine, you've got lack of fruit. The branch that does not bear the fruit is cut out, it is gathered and burned in the fire. So we see this judgment for lack of fruit. And so in looking at these texts, we're, we can make some observations about what is going. First of all, trees are very often used in Scripture to represent professing believers. Those that claim to be Christians, believers. Fruit, often used uh, to symbolize the righteousness of a person's character 
and his actions. It's obedience to the law of God, conforming our, our attitudes and our actions and our thoughts and intentions to those of Jesus. Um, cutting down or throwing away or, or cursing of the tree or the branches represents the judgment of God on these professing believers for their lack of fruit. And the withering or dying represents eternal death of those who profess to believe, yet produce no fruit. And by this, then, they prove themselves to not be true believers in the first place. And so then, what Jesus is doing in this very seemingly bizarre scene is that he's acting out the truth of the verses that we've just seen in a very visual way. Uh, many have called this an acted parable or a, a parable of action. So usually parables are, they're verbal. Like in chapter 13 of Matthew, they're, they're spoken, they're, they're stories. Usually about normal everyday life. And Jesus tells these stories and Below the surface of the story is this deep, rich, spiritual point that Jesus wants his disciples to understand. And so here, instead of Jesus sharing that truth verbally and speaking, he does it through actions. And so if we wanted to put it in a phrase, we could say here that Jesus is showing through this action that fruitlessness brings about cursing. And death. Lack of fruit brings about cursing and death. So the, the first thing we looked at, we looked at the motive for Jesus cursing this tree. We've then tried to dig a little deeper and look at the meaning behind Jesus cursing this tree. And now we want to look at the message that is sent. What is the point of what happens here? Why is Jesus taking this action and doing these things. What is the message sent by cursing the tree? And there, there's actually a few different layers here to this. So first of all, there's a message being sent to the Jewish people, to the people of Israel. Um, so we, we can see that fruitlessness then among the nation of Israel brought about cursing, and death for them. Uh, because of the, the situating here of the, this, active, this, this acted out parable, after the triumphal entry in Jerusalem and, and after the clearing of the temple and the altercation with the scribes, um, th there's been seen here in this event uh, of this cursing of this fig tree, there, there's a particular application to the Jewish people. We also know, again, looking at other places in Scripture, the, the nation of Israel is compared to, in the Old Testament, a fruitless fig tree. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13, the Lord says this, I would gather them, declares the Lord, there, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. Charles Simeon, uh, he wrote this and, and said it this way. The Jews had enjoyed every advantage of care and of culture. The Lord had given them the, the sacrificial system, the priests, the prophets, uh, 
all of these things. And yet they constantly disappointed the expectations of their God. They professed themselves indeed to be his peculiar people, but they brought forth no fruit that was suited to that relation. Now, therefore, God had determined to abandon them to judicial impenitence and utter desolation. He says, it was but four days before they filled up the measure of their iniquities by crucifying the Lord of glory. Remember, this is the, the last week of his life. And but 40 years before the temple and city were finally destroyed. Thus was the fig tree made a warning to the Jewish nation. And a salutary emblem would it have been if they had regarded it as they ought. It's a very sobering thing. Um, and one of the key points of the cursing of this fig tree is the fact that it was not what it appeared to be. Right? This tree is a fraud. It's, 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 like we said, it's false advertisement. It's, it's a hypocrite. It appears to be one thing, and yet it's truly another. And, and the biggest hypocrites we know that Jesus confronted in his ministry were the Pharisees and the scribes of Israel. As a matter of fact, just a, a few chapters after our text this morning, in chapter 23 of Matthew, Jesus is, he pronounces this whole list of woes and cursing on the Pharisees because of their hypocrisy. And he tells them, he says, look, you tithe mint and dill and cumin. They, they actually tithe everything down to the spices that they use. You, you, in other words, looking and, and appearing righteous and religious and godly by doing this. And he says, yet you've neglected the weight of your matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. He told them, you're like a cup that's been washed just on the outside. You have your, your Old Testament ritual washings for your body, but yet inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. He told them, you're like whitewashed tombs. Outwardly appear beautiful, but inside are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And finally, Jesus looks over the city of Jerusalem and the Jewish people, and he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood, under her wings, and yet you are not willing. See, your house is left to you, desolate. It's a tragic thing. The Jewish people, who had so much religious activity, yet no, bore no true fruit. So there's a message to them here in the cursing of this fig tree. We also see this morning that there's a message in the cursing of this fig tree to professing believers. And so we can say that fruitlessness among professing Christians will bring ultimately cursing and death. And as we look at this, we might ask this morning, well, 
if producing fruit, what, what is this fruit that we're talking about? And of course, we can go to Scripture for the answer. Many of us in our minds probably think uh, immediately of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and, and self-control. So then the fruit here has to do with the, the characteristics and the qualities of the heart. Are these characteristics increasing? Are they growing daily, day by day in our lives, slowly but surely? Not, not perfectly by any stretch of the imagination, but can we examine ourselves today and can we see where God has worked to bring about in us a change, a distinct change in these areas from where we were five years ago? Is He working in us to produce more and more of these things? If He has then that's bearing fruit in these character in these areas of our character in our lives. Also, we can look at the book of Hebrews that says this, Through Him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. So then here, it's showing us that praise, worship, thanksgiving, Adoration of God, thankfulness to Him expressed from our mouths in, in prayer and in, in praise to Him. It's called fruit that's produced in our lives. Also, we see as, as Paul prays for the Colossian church in chapter 1, he, play, he prays that they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good Work. So it seems that, that general righteousness and character and in good works in our lives is part of bearing fruit in the Christian life. Again, it's obedience to the word and to the law of God. And so where Jesus searches for this fruit in the life of a believer and finds none, there's judgment. Just as it was here with this fig tree in Matthew 21. Um, Luke actually records for us a parable that Jesus told about this very issue, again, using the illustration of a fig tree. In Luke 13, this is what it says. And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should, be, should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. William Barclay had a, had a great statement um, about this parable. He said this, he said it's at one and the same time lit by grace and closely packed with warnings. Lit by grace and closely packed with warnings. We see the patience and grace and mercy of God with those who, who claim to believe and yet show no fruit. And at the same time, we see the fact that his judgment on fruitlessness is sure. Matthew Henry wrote 
this about this parable. In general, this parable teaches us that the patience of God is stretched out to long-suffering with many that enjoy the gospel and do not bring forth the fruits of it. And if this patience is wretchedly abused, provokes God to so much the greater severity. There is no such thing as a fruitless believer. They don't exist. And so seeing all of these things um, with the, before us this morning, we're reminded that there is a very real possibility that there can be profession of Jesus without possession of Jesus. Profession without possession. I don't know exactly who first said that. I think I heard that from uh, Dr. Steve Lawson. Sounds like something he would say. Um, both start with P, both, both rhyme. So he's, uh, there can be profession without possession. We can make a profession of faith. We can be baptized. We can join a church. We do all of those things without truly being born again. And if that is the case, Scripture tells us that, will be shown, uh, that this fact will be shown in our lives through the lack of fruit in our attitudes and in our speech and in our actions. And this gives us pause, doesn't it? It makes us examine our own lives. Are we bearing fruit in keeping with repentance? Are we like this fig tree where there are only leaves? It's it's serious because Jesus has clearly said what will happen to those who profess Christ without possessing Christ. He says that that on that day he will declare to those who bear no fruit, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So I, w- I would plead with you this morning to examine yourself. Look into the depths of your own soul. To honestly and genuinely see, is there any fruit being produced in your life? Or are those qualities of, of love and joy and peace and the other fruits of the Spirit, are, are they growing over time? Are are you seeking by the Spirit of God to put away and to put to death immorality and strife and jealousy and and envy and and anger and division in relationships and all those other things? Are you seeking to have these fruit come forth in your soul? Are you constantly bringing forth from your, your mouth the praises of God? Do you give Him thanks and worship His name more and more? Do the words of your lips more and more reflect the reality, the growth growth of fruit in your own heart, and result in praise and thanksgiving to Him? Are your actions more and more like those of Jesus? Praying, fasting, seeking to do the will of the Father, forgiving your enemies, Being obedient to the law of God. Not to earn anything from Him, but rather out of thankfulness to Him. Those are all questions that we, as professing believers, have to regularly take time and to get along with God and to evaluate and examine our own hearts to determine, are we indeed bearing fruit for the Lord? So we've seen here the message to the Jews 
We've seen the message to professing believers. And lastly, this morning, we see a message to the 12 disciples. And again, this is interesting. Um, The message to the disciples, it it takes a different turn than than the two previous things that we have looked at. So look with me at, at verses 20 through 22. There we read, When the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what, uh, what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So in this moment, when this happens, the, the disciples are not picking up on the, the symbolism that's going on here. They're they're not grasping this connection between the the fruitlessness and the cursing and the withering. What the disciples pick up on when they see this is the power of Jesus to command this this thing of of the fig tree and it happened and it withered away. And so Jesus here is the great teacher. He, He takes this opportunity. He uses this moment and their astonishment at the withering of this tree to teach them an important lesson. And so Jesus here, in effect, he says, look, you, you think this was something? This was nothing compared to what you may accomplish through, threat, through faith and through prayer. It's, it's really an incredible contrast that we see. Those who who present themselves as as disciples of Jesus, but have no figs, they they wither and die. And yet the one who is truly a disciple of Jesus and and produces fruit has this great power to accomplish mighty things for the Lord through the tool of, of prayer that He has given to us. To the point that, that Jesus speaks figuratively here, Um, He does so to make a point that you could even say to a mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and it would happen. And so Jesus here says it only happens through faith, in prayer, and without doubt. Um, Now, many times this last phrase uh, of verse 22, it gets twisted a lot of times it gets manipulated in, in ways that, that make it into some sort of a magical formula. Right? That you just, if you pray about it and believe it, you'll get it. Um, it's not a magical formula. That's, that's not what's going on here. Um, verse is not about us getting everything we pray for um, the way that we want it. This verse is about God accomplishing things according to His will and to the glory of His name. Um, so, you know, perhaps we'll have a different perspective on these words as they were spoken to the disciples here when we think about what the disciples will be experiencing in the next few days. In the lives. They're going to see one of their own group betray their Lord and Master and Teacher. They'll see Him beaten and mocked. They'll see Him crucified, dead, and, and buried. And days later, Matthew tells us that the 11 disciples are going to encounter the risen Lord and he's going to give them a commission. He's going to give them a task 
to go and to take the gospel to all the nations. To make disciples and to build the church. How in the world is such a great task going to be accomplished by 11 guys? There must be a spiritual, miraculous power available to them by, by which they will be able to do these things. And that power comes by faith and through prayer. And we see that these words of Jesus do indeed come true. As the disciples did, they went forth and, and they carried the gospel to the nations. And we read in Acts 2 of these um, incredible, supernatural, miraculous things that occur. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Great power through prayer and faith in the Lord. And we know that there is application to us of this point as well. With faith, without doubt, and through prayer, great, miraculous, supernatural things are accomplished by His power and for His glory. When we look at the word faith, um, Hebrews 11, it defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Pastor John MacArthur says that faith is placing confidence in God, placing confidence in Him. Um, Dr. Wayne Grudem wrote, Biblical faith is never a kind of wishful thinking or a vague hope that does not have any secure foundation to rest upon. It is rather trust in a person, in God Himself, based on the fact that we take Him at His word and believe what He has said. This trust or dependence on God, when it has an element of assurance or confidence, is genuine biblical faith. It is believing and it is trusting that God is who He says that He is and that He will do what He has said He will do. When we believe Him, when we believe what He has said, there's incredible power through prayer to Him. Power to accomplish great and mighty things, again, for His name and for His glory. So we, we go this morning with that same power as believers. Power through prayer and, and believing that God will do what He said He would do. The promises that He has made in His Word. We go forth bearing fruit and having faith in prayer and, and we go forward without doubt. And as we do, as Jesus promised here, may the Lord work through us with an amazing power that, that cannot be explained in any other way than His great and sovereign work through the faithful prayers of His people. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this time this morning. We're thankful for the, the illustration, the action that we see in this passage. Lord, we do pray that we would evaluate ourselves, we would examine our hearts. Father, we would, we would seek to produce fruit through the power of Your Spirit working in us to the glory of Your name. 
Father, increase our faith. Lord, help us to fight doubt that your name might be praised. So, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name.